Friends, I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents, a program where we feature some of the wit and wisdom of the venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. It is my sincerest hope that the reflections that you will hear today on this broadcast will truly touch your heart and in a way show you that your life is worth living. Hello, my dear friends, and welcome to this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me uh, for this opportunity to learn our faith together. Uh, we've been going through Archbishop Sheen's 50-part catechism series, and we're coming to an end. It's uh, We're on to lesson number 43, and so uh, just a few more lessons, and we'll complete our first um, lap around the track of learning these lessons and you know I think we'll repeat them again uh, in the new year I think it's one of these things where uh, the faith uh, takes time it's it's not a one-and-done lesson it's uh, uh, you know re repeating the lesson and I think this is why we read sacred scripture we have to keep reminding ourselves of how God loves us and how he came to this world to lay down his life for us his friends so that we may be saved. And so today, uh, Archbishop Sheen will be talking about the glory of the soldier. Uh, we just came through the month of November, and many of us celebrated Remembrance Day, uh, you know, at different community celebrations. And so, uh, you know, I think we need to continue to pray for our soldiers as uh, the Christmas season approaches. And so, uh, let us, uh, again, be mindful of our soldiers. And so Fulton Sheen gave a beautiful tribute to soldiers in his television show, Life is Worth Living. And so I thought I would replay that for you today. And of course, our catechism lesson is titled Law of Love, uh, Total Commitment. And I think what Fulton Sheen is hinting at is this takes a total commitment. We can't be part-time Catholics or part-time followers of Christ. Um, it's, we need to be all in. And now I have a nervous laugh there because I need to work on my own uh, personal journey with our Lord. So again, we're all in the same boat, I think. So uh, without further ado, may I present to you uh, the wit and the wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Sheen as he gives a tribute to the soldiers on his Life is Worth Living broadcast. Please enjoy. Friend. We received many letters this week wanting to know what happened to that dead horse in the bathroom and how we got rid of it. Well, it was very simple to get rid of it. We just took the plug out of the bathtub. As we announced last week, our subject tonight is the glory of the soldier. And under soldier, of course, we include everyone in the Marines, the foot soldiers, those who fight in the air, sailors, everyone, men and women, who are engaged in the armed forces. Just before the show, we were giving out the second series of our telecasts. You know, we do not have them written out beforehand, so we take them down 
after the telecast had finished, we take them down to the kinescope. And uh, someone had noticed in the crew tonight that the little angel is very favorable to the sailors. I just noticed tonight, if you notice that the, uh, the little angel here is wearing a sailor hat. The difference, as you see, between my angel, he loves all the armed forces, between my angel and a sailor is that the sailor, whenever he sees a schooner such as is in this picture, he drinks it, and my angel just dances when he sees one. There are all kinds of stories, as you know, told about the sailors and the Marines and the men in the Air Force. For example, I suppose the sailors have constantly been maligned by saying they have a girl in every port. Now, that is not true, because they haven't been in every port. <laughs> Many have been to Davenport. The soldier has had a great and varied history, and is, the origin of the word is interesting. When the soldiers became mercenary and sold themselves out to the highest bidder in the 15th or 16th century, they were given their pay, and in French it was sold. And hence the name in French became soldat, from which we derive the word soldier. There's a world of difference between the soldier, of course, of the free world, our democracy, and the soldier of the Soviet world. You're looking at my angel because he cleaned the board? <laughs> the soldier of the slave world, that is to say of the communist world, is necessarily bent on offense. Because the whole communist philosophy is dedicated to world revolution. Once you are men of that particular type of civilization, you necessarily make them offensive soldiers. Because one thing you can't do with bayonets is sit on them. So the communists send them conquering throughout the world. Soldiers of a democratic country are quite different. Soldiers in a democracy come into being very much like locks might come into a village. Here's a thousand homes in a village. Every man is friendly with his neighbor. There are no locks on windows, no bars on doors. Everyone is free to come and go in any house in the neighborhood. One night a thief breaks in. And the next morning, a thousand locks have to be purchased. Now it happens as the thief thief in the world. That's the reason democracies have to arm. The greatest tribute that can be paid to soldiers is to recall that they are always spoken of well in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, great soldiers are praised like Joshua, David, and Gideon. In the New Testament, whenever an individual is mentioned, it's always in terms of praise. And I believe the reason is that when a civilization like the Roman began to rot, the putrefaction starts at the center, which means that off at the periphery, in the military, in the armed forces, there are still those remnants of respect for law, and decency and order, which preserve civilization. And that is why the soldiers that are found in the outposts of the Roman Empire in gospel times are men to be praised. 
two great characteristic notes of soldiers are found in the Gospels, found throughout history. The first note of the great soldier is sympathy. And the second is a spirit of sacrifice. First of all, sympathy. One soldier does not make an army any more than one swallow makes a summer. He's committed to live in community, and so he develops the spirit of friendliness with his fellow man. And then in addition to that, he has to travel very often to other lands. And these great floods of humanitarianism wipe away all the barriers and obstructions of race and of nation and of color and of class. And he begins to understand what Alexander the Great told his soldiers in Persia that God is the common father of all men. Soldier begins to see as he goes into other lands that all people are one, and all made of one blood. This sympathy begets humility in the soldier. When a man is alone, he can be proud of himself. When he's with others, he's much more humble. Fly on the nose of the cameraman looks very large. In the theater, it looks small. A man is, is alone and by himself he can be an egotist. But when he's in an army and in another world, he becomes very humble. And that explains the sympathy and the humility of these soldiers. One of them that was mentioned in the gospel, the centurion of Capernaum. See how sympathetic he was. And how sympathetic he had to be to win the reputation that he enjoyed. After all, he belonged to this great power of Rome that was sending its eagles throughout the world. He comes into a conquered people. Naturally, he was unpopular. Should have been. Or the Romans were in the land of the Jews, very much like the Soviets are in China or in Poland. And yet... He was kindly and sympathetic, and one day he came to our Lord and said that his servant was sick. The servant of that Roman soldier was probably a slave. Caesar once complained that he wept at the death of a servant. But this man is interested in the life of his servant. And he comes to our Lord and asks that the servant be healed. And the Jewish elders, were struck by the sympathy and kindness of the man, went to our Lord, and they gave two arguments why he should be helped. Imagine two arguments in favor of this Roman soldier. The first was, he loves our race. How gently he had to be to win that appellation. And secondly, he built for us a synagogue. He was humble too. Oh, so very humble, because he said to our Lord, I do not want you to enter under my roof. You need not come to my house. I have men under me, because I am a man of authority. I say to one, go, and he goeth, come, and he cometh. To another, do this, and he doth it. Therefore, he suggested to our Lord that merely the word of his omnipotent lip would be enough to cure the servant. 
the servant was cured at that hour. The soldier was kind and sympathetic. And in these days, when those who follow the Savior reach the moment of most intimate union with him, there wells up at the moment of communion on the lips of a devout Christian the words of a soldier. Lord, I am not worthy. This sympathy we find in our American soldiers throughout the world. We know what they are doing in mission lands, for example. The aid they are giving to our leprosaria, to our hospitals, to our homes for the aged. How they are helping the orphans and the refugees throughout the world. Not only our own soldiers. Let me tell you this story about a communist soldier. One of our missionary sisters was telling me just the other day when she was in prison in China for a couple of years, she contracted malaria. The communists refused to give her any water. Her throat was like a blazing fire. She said to the communist soldier nearby, I'm dying. He said, good. We will not have to feed you. All we have to do is bury you. She said, give me some tea. He was making a pot of tea in prison. The communist soldier said, why should I give you tea? For you are an enemy. And then his mouth became a crater of hate and a volcano of blasphemy. And as he cursed her and accused her of being a spy and an agent of an imperialist power, amidst all of his cursing and blasphemies, he moved over to this dying sister and poured some tea into her tin cup. Reported to the party and demoted. The point that I want to bring out is that the natural sympathy of a soldier overcame the hardness even of communist philosophy and he broke the bond of all dialectical materialism to prove that a soldier is a man of sympathy and love. Then humility. Would you like to see a letter I got from a soldier the other day that indicates you met it? He passed me by on the street. Failed to see me, and he wrote this letter. The soldier says, Dear Bishop Sheen, last evening at the Alfred Smith dinner, I was told that while I was passing through the streets of New York yesterday, you stopped at a street corner to greet me. I regret I failed to see you, but I do assure you that I am more than complimented by your friendly thoughtfulness. I would have valued the opportunity to have stopped my car, however briefly, to chat for a moment with personal regard. Would you like to know the name of the soldier? Dwight D. Eisenhower. I wrote to the president and I said, in America, when the president passes a friend on the street and through no fault of his own fails to recognize him, he sends a letter of greeting. That is democracy. In Russia, when the dictator passes a friend on the street without recognizing him, that means he's marked for liquidation. That is communism. The second quality of the soldier 
is sacrifice. Sacrifice in times of peace because he has to leave his home, his loved one. Because he has to go through the long routine of preparation. And in addition to that, when there was no excitement for battle, no spur to action, he still has to go through the indelicacies of barracks life. And then in time of war, the soldier's a man of sacrifice because on the battlefield he does not live for himself. He does not die for himself. He lives and he dies for others. His life is characterized by a beautiful vicariousness, the render of self for others. We find this in a great soldier, too, that is mentioned in the gospel. There's a, a centurion. He had charge of a hundred soldiers. He was one sixtieth of a Roman legion, a Roman legion amounting to 6,000 men. He was sent out this particular day to execute a batch of criminals. He had done it a hundred times before. It was the old Roman method of putting men to death. He knew all about it. He went through with it, was struck a bit for the fact that one who was crucified, as soon as the nails hit his hands, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then he noticed, too, that death did not seem to come to him, that he went out to meet it. And he died, speaking in a loud voice, if he were giving up his own life, which he did, saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The change came over that particular soldier. He was seeing now not the circumstances of death. As men are generally interested today in the circumstances of death, as they follow murder mysteries and read detective stories. But this soldier became for the moment tremendously interested in the significance of death and all that it implied. He began to see that here was someone who was giving his life for another. And then this soldier made a public affirmation of his faith. He said, indeed, this was the Son of God. He was the first to say, there are no atheists in the Oxford. spirit of sacrifice has passed over into the lives of our soldiers. We know a hundred stories we could tell you of men who risked their own lives and some even have died just to save the one that they call a buddy. And you remember Joyce Kilmer, one of the great soldiers of World War I, how he translated everything that happened to him in war into the scene which this Roman soldier saw on the hill of Calvary. He would first of all complain about his army life, and then he would think of that great soldier and his vicarious death. He gave himself for the world. He said, My shoulders ache beneath my pack. Lie I march with feet that burn and smart. Red holy feet. 
I dare not lift a hand to clear my eyes of salty tears that sear. And shall my fickle soul forget my agony of bloody sweat? My rifle hand is sick and numb. From thy pierced palm, red rivers come. Lord, thou hast suffered more for me And all the hosts of land and sea. Then let me render back again the millionth of thy gift. Amen. Poem of a soldier sacrificed himself for his country. Why not then recognize their great value? We wonder, why is it that in times of war, we praise the sacrifice, the self-forgetfulness, the self-abnegation, and the fearlessness of our soldiers on the battlefield, and then in time of peace, Call such sacrifice and such discipline womanly virtues. Why do we do it? Why is it that in times of war we commend the soldier for obedience to his orders, for his oath of fealty, for the fulfillment of his missions, for obedience to all of his commissions. And then in time of peace, have little respect for the same obedience. We'll not put it into our schools and into our homes and into our national life with the result that we pay the terrible penalty of juvenile delinquency. Why is it that in time of war, we tell our soldiers that they must be ready, if need be, to give their lives for the preservation of the liberty of our country. And then in time of peace, we say it is asking too much of any man to give an answer to the question, are you a loyal American? Are you a communist? There are no fifth amendments on battlefields behind which our soldiers may protect their lives. Shall we therefore be ashamed in peace of what we are so proud in war? Rather, let us put on the breastplate of justice, 
the shield of faith, carrying the sword of the Spirit, marching with courage under the great God, who is the Lord of hosts, and under the protection of a woman who is as invincible as an army drawn up in battle array. Then we shall preserve our country, our traditions, our soldiers, and our America. You are listening to Bishop Sheen Presents, heard on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me today for this opportunity to learn our faith together. And I want to, of course, uh, send um, greetings to our friends in Australia, the Philippines, uh, the United Kingdom, of course, Canada uh, and the United States. Uh, again, our good friends at, um, I want to always say, you know, Catholic Community Radio. Now, <laughs> there's a lot of Catholic Community Radio stations, um, you know, throughout the world, but uh, our good friends in uh, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Biloxi, you know, it's it's the South. And, uh, you know, again, I'm from Canada and uh, winter is creeping up on us uh, it's getting colder and colder, but um, when I just need to be warmed up, I think of all my friends uh, in the South uh, listening to uh, Bishop Sheen Presents on the radio, and of course all of our uh, great listeners from Radio Maria USA in Louisiana, Ohio, Mississippi, Florida, Pennsylvania, Texas, Wisconsin, and I know we're going to have a few more added to that list uh, by the grace of God. So uh, again, Welcome, and thank you for joining me. <laughs> it's great to have this worldwide radio family uh, with me. And, you know, I've been sharing uh, the little website that we put together 10 years ago called bishopsheentoday.com, and I invite you to, to visit the website, bishopsheentoday.com, and there you can watch hundreds of hours of Sheen's television shows, listen to hundreds of hours of recordings, absolutely free. Just enjoy Sheen at your leisure. And of course, uh, we're asking at this time of the year for your help. Uh, we have developed a charity book program, uh, which is simply, you give us a donation, we send you a book written by Bishop Sheen. Uh, again, some of the popular titles that you've come to know and love. The Holy Hour Prayer Book, Victory Over Vice, The Seven Virtues, uh, there is 30, oh no, there are 39 books on this list for you to choose from. And so uh, give us your donation and we'll send the book to you no matter where you live in the world. We send to Australia, the Philippines, Canada, the United States, United Kingdom. Uh, we have ways of getting these books to you. So please participate in our charity book program. The instructions are on the website. Uh, you'll see the list. And with each donation, we send you a book. So it's very simple. So again, visit bishopsheentoday.com for that charity book program. And, you know, Christmas is coming. So it's a good opportunity to do some of your Christmas shopping and yet help us here at Bishop Sheen today. All right, we're going to help you with your soul. And um, Fulton Sheen said so many times, unless souls are saved, nothing is saved. And so we're going to enjoy this catechism lesson uh, together. Uh, it's titled The Law of Love, Total Commitment. And I think, uh, as I said earlier, uh, the Lord is asking us for a commitment. 
and uh, Fulton Sheen will show us how. So without further ado, may I present to you the Venerable Sheen as he teaches us the Catechism. God love you. Peace be to you. All that we have said up to this point can be summarized in the difference between law and love. Really, in the Christian way, we are not governed by law at all. We should be beyond it. We seek not just merely the keeping of the commandments. But we seek to be related to our blessed Lord. Is it hard? Is it possible? Remember one day a young man came to our blessed Lord and he asked what he must do to be saved. And our blessed Lord said that he must keep the commandments. And our Lord mentioned about five or six of the commandments, such as not stealing, not committing adultery and the like. And the young man said, I have kept all these from my youth. Our blessed Lord then added, if you would be perfect, go sell all you have. Give to the poor, then come follow me. The young man left our Lord. He went away sad because he had great possessions. The apostles were troubled about this. After all, must everybody sell everything that he has to follow our Lord? So they said, who then can be saved? And our Lord answered, that it is not possible with men alone, that is to say, by our own human power we cannot. But it is possible with God. All things are possible with God. We have his grace. Is Christianity hard, therefore? In a certain sense, it is hard. Hard from a worldly point of view. But it gives such inner peace and joy that those who obey the law of love of our blessed Lord find it very easy. Really, when we understand the full import of the law of our blessed Lord, we find it to be this. Our Lord is saying, Give me all, all of you. I do not want just so much of your time, so many hours a day, so much of your money, so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment this natural self of yours. I've come to kill it. No half measures are any good. 
I do not want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have this whole tree of the natural man cut down. I do not wish just to drill a tooth or crown it. If it's bad, I want it out. So he says, give me your whole self. Is that a loss? No, because he said, I will give you a new self. I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. The trouble with us when we hear the law of our blessed Lord is that we are trying to remain what we are and at the same time to keep a reasonable amount of peace. We want to be what we call good. We want our heart and our mind to go one way. Maybe it's after money, maybe it's after pleasure, maybe it's after social prestige. And at the same time, we do want to behave honestly and chastely and to keep the commandments. Now, that is exactly what our blessed Lord said that we were not to do. He said a thistle cannot produce a fig. And if I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change has to go deep, down below the surface. I have to be plowed up, to be re-sown. That was why our Lord said, if you would be perfect, come follow me. Oh, and again, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He meant that we have to go in for full treatment. It is hard. But the sort of hankering after it is a bit harder. Really, when we get down to rock bottom, what are we afraid of? We are afraid to give our finger to God. Because we fear that he may take our hand. So we have little secret gardens back in our heart that we tend. The fruit is not his. It's ours. We wall it off from him. Sometimes a petty sin or vice or selfishness, whatever it happens to be. We do not get the full joy of being a Christian. It's very hard for an egg, for example, to turn into a, a bird. But it would be much harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are just like eggs now. And we cannot go on being just what we call a good egg. If we insist upon being a good egg... We either become a good egg, a really good one, or a bad one. And what is a good egg? A good egg is an egg that hatches. 
it can be readily seen that what our blessed Lord insists upon is a kind of a death. Namely, we have to renew in our own lives exactly what happened in his. He is the pattern. He repeatedly said to, not only to Nicodemus, but to us, we are to live again, we have to perish to that old existence. If there is anybody who hopes that in Christ the real danger spots are rendered harmless, and that nothing else can happen to us, because after all he is what we call a kind Savior, and who takes even hardened sinners back with no questions asked, well, that person, must first come to terms with the text that our blessed Lord said he would not subtract one jot or tittle from the severity of God's law. That he had come not to abolish the law, but to perfect it. In other words, grace is not cheap. Cost our Lord his life. Can you think of anything that is more costly than that for which a man must pay on a cross? So if we want peace, we have to pay that price without that death to the lower life. Not the death to our higher life, no. But without that death to our lower life, there is no peace. There's only fear, and we live just a kind of a half-existence. Remember our blessed Lord said that he who wills to do the will of the Father in heaven will know whether the teaching is from God. By this he means one of the reasons there are agnostics and skeptics is because they're not keeping the law of God. We know his will we will understand his doctrine. It could very well be that we have entirely too much insistence upon a knowledge of Christian doctrine and not enough insistence on the doing. Our blessed Lord never said that if you know my doctrine, you will do my will. But he did say that if you do my will, you will know my doctrine. In other words, only he who does the will, who is in earnest about it, who stakes his life on it, will come to understand Christ and all that his redemption means. Our Lord is known really only to those who venture. Not to the cowards is he known. Now at first, our blessed Lord is always a disturber. When you are still living in the natural order, oh, he seems to irritate you. You're dealing with a God who seems to be leading you into a kind of a crucifixion. You are a nice, easy-going worldling, and you have settled down comfortably into what you call your worldview. 
But if you are in earnest with Christ, you will have to give up that comfort. And not because you're supposed to be a nervous worrier, but simply because it is a false peace. The first advent, therefore, of Christ into our lives is actually that of one who upsets us. But then once we give ourselves to him, he becomes our defender. Before we have Christ, our heart accuses us. We are unhappy with half measure. Then after we give ourselves to our Lord and his law of love, then our heart is at peace and Christ becomes our defender. His attitude completely changes once we have changed ours. This is just another way of putting the difference between commandments and love. Commandments only restrain me. We see them as hurdles and obstacles in the way of life. And those who live by the commandments ask, How far can I go? What is the limit? How close can I get to the abyss without tumbling in? Is it a mortal sin? This is not the way of love. It's not the way of peace. It is the old Adam that is within me that talks this way about commands. So when I merely obey commands, I am never there as a whole person. But perhaps at most only with a better half of myself. And the other half remains in opposition. That's the psychological state of everyone who obeys a command. Never the whole heart. But when I love, I am a whole person. For love is a movement of my whole self. It's an overflowing, limitless giving of oneself. Therefore, it can never be commanded. It can only happen. Up to this point, we have said that the Christian doctrine of morality is a total commitment to Christ so that we put on his mind, we think his thoughts, we love what he loves, and we ask ourselves whenever we do anything, Will this be pleasing to him? But there's another side to the love of God. It is the love of neighbor. The two laws go together. And the love of neighbor is not merely giving eggs to a neighbor when the neighbor wishes it. It is really being a sin bearer. What does that mean? Well, some years ago, I remember meeting a woman who was 
very much distressed because her son had been put into prison. I think it was the fourth arrest for crime and robbery and murder. She was bitterly ashamed and broken-hearted. And then I asked myself, why does she have all this shame? And there came to me the words of the prophet Isaiah that had referred to our Lord. And I might say of her, she had borne his griefs, carried his sorrows. And the chastisement of his peace was upon her. And it would only be by her stripes that he would be healed. This good mother had very few sins in her life, certainly no serious sins. And yet love made her exceedingly sinful for his sake. So immediately the mystery cleared up the love which a woman can put out for her son and which makes her so entirely one with him that his sin is her sin. His disgrace is her disgrace. His shame is her shame. Is the nearest thing that we can ever get on this earth to the love of God and to know what God really is. In our own turn, therefore, we have to see that all of our sins became his sins. Our disgrace was his disgrace. Our shame, his shame. And in his own body, he bare our sins upon the tree. This is what forgiveness costs. That's why we said grace is not easy. We are not therefore to think that we are pious when we begin living our individual holy lives apart from our neighbor and apart from the world and suffering humanity. That was the trouble with Simon the Pharisee. The sinful woman came into the house and poured out ointment upon the feet of our blessed Lord. Simon was scandalized. He wanted no contact with anyone that was sinful. He was only concerned about keeping the law just for himself and maybe his own false in inner peace. And our blessed Lord said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Do you understand her? Her sins are part of the sins of the world. And then he went on to say that he was taking on her sins. And the pouring of the ointment was a preparation for his crucifixion and his burial. She was forgiven much, and forgiveness costs an awful lot. Forgiveness is love in action, 
and love means sin-bearing. Forgiveness can only be accomplished by sin-bearing, and sin-bearing means a cross. It means that to God, and it must mean that to us. That is why our blessed Lord said, If any man will be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me. The meaning of the cross is love bearing the sin of the beloved because of oneness with him. We can know the sin-bearer Christ only as we bear the sins of others. We are redeemed in order to be redeemers. And we are not saved until God makes us saviors. A Christian has to go with our Lord into the Garden of Gethsemane and must pass from there to Calvary, filling up in his body what is lacking to the sufferings of Christ for his body's sake, which is the church. We cannot, like Pilate, wash our hands and say, I'm innocent of the blood of the world and innocent of the sufferings of the world. If the church is a church indeed, it is a body of sin-bearing people. People who love with the love of God that is shed abroad in their hearts. They are a body of people who can forgive because they've been forgiven. We've been loved. And therefore they can become lovers. Unless the church of Christ is by love so united with the whole of mankind that the sin of the world is the sin of the church. The disgrace of the world is the disgrace of the church. The shame of the world, the shame of the church, the poverty of the world, the poverty of the church, then it is no church at all. The church is not and never can be an end in itself. It is a means of salvation for the world. Not just our own sanctification. We cannot save ourselves alone. We pray in the context of our Father, not my Father. Our daily bread, not my daily bread. The church is the agent of salvation for mankind. It is not a refuge of peace. It is an army preparing for war. We seek security, but only in sacrifice. And this is the mark of the church and the hallmark of the cross itself. And if the sin of our modern slums and the degradation that they cause, if the sin of our overcrowded rotten houses and the ugliness and vice they bring, if the sin of unemployment with the damnation of body and soul that it means to men and women, if the sin of the heartless, thoughtless luxury at one end, standing out against the squalid and degrading poverty of African, Asia, and Latin America the other, if the sin of commercial trickery and dishonesty, and the wholesale defrauding of the poor, if the sin of prostitution, and the murder of women and children by disease, and if the sin of war, the very sins 
which is but the bursting and the festering of all the filth that the others have bred in years of miscalled peace, if all of that is not laid upon the church as a burden, and upon us as members of the church, and if we do not feel it, we are not worthy members of the church. We have missed our vocation. This is Christian morality. Not just the keeping of the commandments. It's love. It's total commitment. And it's taking upon ourselves the sins of others. This is the new law. Love God. Love your neighbor. God love you. You are listening to Bishop Sheen Presents here on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me today to learn our faith together. I know that Archbishop Sheen can be uh, firm at times, and I, I, I like to use that word firm. Um, he was uh, very to the point uh, today, and again, he's challenging us to pick up our cross and follow the Lord. It's not an easy task. Uh, it is that total commitment that's required. And so let us go to the Blessed Virgin Mary to ask for her help to receive the graces that we need to be all in. We mentioned the soldiers and how they have this total commitment to the cause. And we too are soldiers for Christ. Uh, many of us received a great grace at our confirmation to become that soldier that's needed in this army to uh, bring about the kingdom of God. And so Again, let us go to the Blessed Virgin Mary for her help and her intercession. And, of course, I can't say this enough. I encourage everyone to listen to Archbishop Sheen, to watch him on his old videos that are available today, still on the Internet. Of course, to, to pick up books written by Archbishop Sheen. Uh, he is bringing still, to this day, hundreds of thousands of souls to Christ. And so... Uh, may I recommend that you visit our humble little website titled bishopsheentoday.com and we named it Bishop Sheen Today because we need Bishop Sheen Today. And so I'd ask you to be generous. I'd ask you to participate in our charity book program. Uh, Christmas is coming and so it's a way of uh, you helping uh, us and uh, but we help you and it doesn't matter wherever you live in the world we will get these books to you and um, we have many uh, generous benefactors and uh, of course um, you know ways of uh, spreading the gospel and um, again God is good God is very good so again bishopsheentoday.com our charity book program and of course I want to thank uh, two of our partners uh, Sophia Institute Press and uh, Tan Books uh, for their generous discounts. They continue to give our listeners and the promo codes uh, for those discounts are found on the website bishopsheentoday.com. My dear friends, I pray that you will have a glorious week and uh, continue to uh, fight the good fight. And until the next time that we meet, may the good Lord continue to bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you.